All right. Thank you guys for joining in and tuning in on Persevere to Excel podcast. Today, I have a special guest, my really good friend, Kamud. Kamud, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me here. Dude, I am super pumped that you're here, man. We've been friends for a very, very, very long time. And um, this is like the holiday season. Like, what's some what's some of your favorite stuff to do during the holiday? Wow. It's a good question. Uh, relax, lay down, watching some basketball, some football. So sports is a big thing for you, huh? Yeah, yeah. It's just calming for me. Yeah. So what are you watching? Football, basketball, like yeah, hockey? Both. What are you watching? Both, both. The playoff season is coming up. Uh, big New England fan, uh, Celtics. Boston, um, all, all the way through. That's awesome. And um, know, knowing that we live in New Hampshire, right? New Hampshire is one of the very cold places um, in United States. Uh, have you gotten acquainted to kind of like the, 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 the outside activity of living in a cold place during the winter time? Wow. Um, so I've been here for 20 years, Dale. And no, not at all. Uh, I don't ski. Uh, maybe I go tubing. Uh, tubing, okay, tubing, tubing counts, yeah. But that was in my younger days. I don't do that now. I, I just like to stay inside, stay warm, and uh, yeah, just stay warm. That's it. That's what's up, man. Well, um, yeah, I think for me also, like, so we're both from Africa. You're from Sudan. I'm from the Congo. Um, we both migrated to uh, to Manchester, New Hampshire, and and for me, like, I, we, I've been here for 19 years, and every time winter hits, I'm like, what am I still doing here? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We keep coming back for more. Keep coming back for t- punishment. It, there must be something else other than just the weather that yeah. brings us, that, that keeps us around here, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, um, it's just the community. Um, I grew up here. This is all that I knew uh, for a very long time. I wanted to get out uh, when I got to college, uh, but I stuck out here uh, at UNH. I wanted to be closer to family. That's the thing, man. I'm a big family guy. Um, just, I just want to make sure everybody's good and, you know, I'll sacrifice a couple things just, just to make sure we're good. Dude, man, that's, that's the theme of our conversation today is family. Um, so I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. So, um, you came here, um, originally from the Sudan and just t- tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. How old were you when your family, um, resettled to Manchester, New Hampshire? Yeah. So I was nine years old. Uh, it was back in 1999. We came from Egypt. Um, so everything was, it was pretty fresh. I still remember a lot. Uh, it was a tough time for me just cause you know, you have friends back home. Uh, you got to get up and leave. You don't know what this holds. You don't know where you're going. Uh, it's not like we had some talk like, Hey, we're going to go, uh, to Manchester, New Hampshire. It's going to be a cold place. This is what is that. We, we didn't know the language, had to, uh, acclimate my whole lifestyle, um, at a very young age. So that experience was, um, it was just surprising. Um, and you were just taking it day by day. You didn't know what the next day brought. You didn't know, you know, who you're going to see next or who you're going to talk to or who you, what kind of experiences you're going to have. Um, but, uh, for me, uh, it was also exciting, right? Just, just trying to get to the next chapter. For sure. If you can think back on those early days, what were some of the stuff that you experienced early on where you're like, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. I'm curious to know from, from that young age perspective. Oh man, when I was young, um, at nine years old, I mean, just trying some like different types of food, right? Chicken nuggets for the first time or ice cream, like the, the American ice cream. Like that, like those are the things that like come to mind is just trying different food because everything else I couldn't really uh, just put my mind behind. I didn't even, I didn't know the language. I didn't know what I was looking at, right? TV, TV was big. 
um, you know, having just like that color, right? If back in uh, in Egypt, you, I mean, I didn't get TV color TV. I, I oh wow! I wasn't experiencing that. So coming here, uh, having a TV, like, even though I didn't know what people were saying, um, it, you know, that's those are the kind of the things that uh, that I was first able to like kind of get there. And then also, you know, the uh, the smallest essentials, right? Um, toilets, right? Right. right. Sink water, um, just like. Uh, you know, the tap open is clean water. I can drink from it. You don't have to boil the water right away. That was that was weird. Um, and then milk. You know how you how we have milk and uh, uh, gallons of milk. Yes, we're having that in Egypt, right? Um, so it's just smallest things that you wouldn't think about um, mm-hmm. at, at a young age. That's what I that's what I was surprised and was like, wow, you know, this is a different world out here. Seems like there was a lot that came with it that you know you had to kind of chew on and and, and get familiarized with. Uh, it's funny that you say ice cream. Um, so you, we have a mutual friend, uh, um, Pior Gabriel, not Pior Gabriel, um, and we we grew up together. And one of the things that happened that was really interesting was when we when I first met him, I just resettled to Manchester, and him and his family they've been here for a little bit. But um, we went to the same school, so they would walk up from where they were living to my house in order for us to walk down to the school. And we had this ritual where we would eat ice cream early in the morning. So my mom would give us ice cream sandwiches. Oh, no way. And we would eat ice cream sandwiches early in the morning before we went to school. And then we'll walk down to going down to the school. So ice cream, I guess, for me, was a, um, it, was a big, it was a big deal. It was yeah. a big thing. Um, so for me personally, I, I you know... Some of you guys know my story. I, I grew up in the Congo and my father was assassinated. And in result of that, my family and I, we ended up at a refugee camp. And then we resettled to Manchester and my mother was the only one kind of taking care of us. Um, one of the things that was fascinating as we were acclimating, um, where most people would look at our, our deficits, right? Like what we don't have, right? Mm-hmm. Like So people would look from the outside and be like, man, that's, that's a single mother with four children. And... You know, like she's working a factory job where for us in the other end was like, man, we're in a safe space. Yeah. Like we have freedom. Yeah. You know, even the, the, the bare minimum that we received by the social services, it was still big enough. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. so we, we came at it from that standpoint where it was like, man, we're free. Uh, nobody, we don't have to worry for our life being taken away. Mm-hmm. We can go to school for free, you know, mm-hmm. even though taxpayers, you know, pay, pay for, for it. it. Yeah, but yeah. like, you know, like the, the, the basic essential, you can go to school for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that for me at a young age, that was like good enough, mm-hmm. you know, like in terms of like what America had to offer, like that was the starting point and that was good enough. Absolutely. I mean, um, cause you're not thinking about that. Um, uh, now once, once you have all those things, those are just daily essentials, um, that are basic human rights, right? You, you take advantage of that. Um, but I, I've, at an early age, man, I came in here and I was like, wow, I was just, it's a blessing to be here. Very thankful. Right. Uh, just things that you get every day. Um, right. Just, um, having roads, car, right. Getting to work, just having that, uh, process and people helping you with that. Um, even though there's uh, there are other challenges that we're going through, right? But right. we don't have to go through the basic challenges. So no, that's very true. If you can think back then, what were some of your aspiration, right? Like, because if you think about it, as a young kid, you're always like dreaming and thinking yeah, about yeah. stuff as you're being, you know, introduced to all this new stuff. If you can think back then, did you? If you can recall some of like your, your dreams and your vision and what mm. you were thinking about, what your future would be, like, what were mm. some of the stuff you thought about? Man, I don't know. Actually, I mean. 
that young, I, I was just thinking about the next day. I, I didn't dream much, right? I didn't have big aspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like I had like a, a dream. Like I want to go to college and have this big job and this big house, white picket fence. Uh, you know, I was just trying to get through the next day, uh, make sure my family is good um, and, and just doing the best that I can to, uh, to get through the day and get to the next, um, you know, get through the next night and get through the night. So I never really had those big dreams until I would say until I got to college is mm. when bigger dreams started coming out, you know, wanting to change the world, you know, you know, those young things that come up. Um, but uh, as very early on, I didn't, I didn't have those, those big dreams. So it seemed like the, the day to day, the present, right. Yeah, as, as, present. as a young kid, like that was what was kind of keeping you going, keeping me going, yeah. keeping me fueling. You know? So for me, I would say, um, I, I, I was fortunate in terms of like the, the people that came alongside my family, like, you know, early on, they, they, they were very like open and transparent in terms of like, you know, exposing us to different things. So the more that I saw what their experiences were like, Mm -hmm. the more I was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be us too down the road. You know, like I remember a family that came alongside my family that kind of took us in, they like adopted us and I've written a lot about them. And, um, so we would go to their parties and stuff, family parties, or they would throw birthday parties for us, just like their, their lingo and Uh like how, like, you know, they're a blue collar family, you know, they had a little bit of money, Uh but like, you know, but just being exposed to that, like for me, for some reason, like, yeah, like to me, I was like, we're not there, yeah. but we're going to get there at yeah. some point. Yeah. And I remember one of the biggest milestones early on for us was my mom getting her license and then her getting a car. Like, that mm-hmm. was a big deal. And that mm-hmm. happened within um, the first 12 months of us being here. Because mm-hmm. the reality deal. was, like, she couldn't go to work, really, if she didn't have a vehicle. Uh, yeah. You know, she relied on other people to kind of carpool and stuff. But that, that just wasn't sustainable. So when that happened, like, that was a big proof of concept for me mm-hmm. and for mm-hmm. my family to be like, Whoa, mom got her license. Yeah. Mom is driving. So when those stuff started happening, that's when I was like, man, like as long as we continue on. Keep building on yeah, right? we're, we're small g- steps. Yeah, we're going to be okay. Yeah. So for me, like, I don't know exactly if I had like an actual visual visualization of what that future was going to be at that young age of mm-hmm. 10, 11. But I just knew that where we were was just a starting point that there was yeah. more to come. Yeah, yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about responsibility. You and I both are the oldest in our, in our, uh, in our family. Yeah, right. And, yeah. um, and I've known you for a very long time and, and we always kind of had that responsibility of like, you know, setting a good example for our siblings, but also like taking a little bit more ownership in terms of what our role was in terms of taking care of them and, 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 and living out like what the example lifestyle needed to be like. So I'm curious to know from your standpoint at a very young age, as you started to kind of grow and get assimilated to the country, what were some of the responsibility that, that were naturally like given to you? Yeah. Um, so early on, I would say day to day activities with your mother. Right. Just going to the grocery store, uh, figuring out what you need to get to take home, reading the labels, what the labels mean, how much it costs, going to the register. Right. Those are responsibilities that a nine year old probably didn't have to go through. Right. Um, so I did a lot of the grocery shopping. Then it's like, you got to go, we got to wash clothes. There's no washer dryer at the house. Normally we do everything with our hands. So we got to go to the laundromat. Yeah. Yeah. Take a nice walk down to the laundromat, get the coins, you know, figure out how to use that machine. Um, asking questions. Hey, how does this work? I don't know what I'm doing here. I didn't have my mom to kind of show me how to work. Cause 
She didn't know how to do it either. So it was right? actually happening the other way around, where yeah. you were learning all this I new experiences, learning, yep. and you have to bring it back to your bring mom it back and dad. To my and mom, yep. Wow. And show her the way, and um, then it's interviews. If she's, you know, um, just with um, food stamps or whatnot, or people coming into the home asking questions, you know, they're trying to help us get acclimated in the system. Um, my mom wasn't speaking any English, so they asked me, and I barely spoke English either, but I had to pick it up quickly. Um, and understand, digest, and tra- you know, uh, transfer over to my mother. So those those uh, responsibilities came up early, and then naturally it progressed with you know my siblings going to school. Um, anything that happened is at school. They reach out to the family. I'm the one. I'm the point of contact, right? Mm. So that's just started so early, and it's continued even to my adult life now, right? Um, and it's just it's just something that I I loved I love doing it right, but it kind of took took away a little bit from your childhood, but also uh, made me the kind of the man that I am today. Because those responsibilities taught me uh, just the way of life, just you know, get, getting through life, getting through school, how to take things uh, day by day, right? How to take care of what's in front of you, right? Um, and not and not just getting lost in the in, in the just. Just life, essentially. Wow, come on. And, and, and I can relate to that 100%. So just to break down kind of some of the stuff that you said. So the fact that you were assimilating a little bit faster mm-hmm. than your, your parents, naturally you became kind of the, the middleman, like the yeah. bridge. Yeah. Even though you might have not fully understand what that experience was or what that was, but you still were moving a little bit faster than that became kind of your responsibility to close the gap. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, mom, this is this. Yeah. Hey, mom, this is what the school is saying. This is what, and, yep. and, and then part of that, the re, it just became naturally part of your responsibility. Yeah, yeah. And I could attest to that. And, and I would say exactly that, that exactly same thing happened with me too. It was like, um, I mean, I could even, you know, it's kind of embarrassing because it was like, even sometimes like hospital visits where there was stuff that was personal with my mom and I had to kind of, um, you know, be the one to, to take the information and then give it back to her. And it's like, very awkward. You know what I mean? It's like, Whoa, like, is this even, but when it was happening, I never had to kind of reflect on it and be like, Oh man, this is a hard situation. This is a, no. It was almost like autopilot. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the person that's going to interpret. Yeah. It's life. I remember even at times when, like what my mom's salary was for jobs that she was applying for. Like mm-hmm. I was in the front line of those interviews mm-hmm. with those companies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, and it was like, Hey mom, they're, they're going to pay you this much. And this was what it looks like. And, but, um, but the reality is also there was no one else to close the gap. That's no, why yeah. we were given those responsibilities. Like yeah. we had to step up. Yeah. If it wasn't you, it was just gonna, it's, it's gonna fall somewhere else. That's no one that people aren't really taking care of. Right. Yeah, and, 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 and that's the piece of it, too, that, that dynamic a lot of people don't fully understand in terms of what are the things that contributes to certain immigrants when they're assimilating and they're starting from the ground up, right? There's, there's two different things, right? There's certain immigrants that migrate here that have the means, right? They're coming in with money and they have, they're a little bit more established. Mm-hmm. So when they get here, they have a little bit more upper mobility to, mm-hmm. to, to kind of catch up where they left off in their previous country where there's certain immigrants that are coming here. They're starting from scratch, you know, and for me and you as former refugees, like we were starting from scratch. So whatever that was presented, we had to, it was almost like a a community thing. Like we were the only community our family had. So like we kind of had to take care of each other's back. Right. Just had each other. That's what it was. So I would love to hear from your perspective in terms of like, how did that like 
play out in terms of your relationship with your, your younger siblings? Because I know yeah. for me personally, it played a significant role, even, you know, from elementary to middle school to high school, where um, my role as an older brother was a little bit different, where I would say personally for my stank, it kind of almost was like I was playing a little bit of a father figure for my brothers because mm -hmm. of, you know, one, I was the oldest, two, there was a lot of demonstration through me. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to know from you, um, how was your relationship with your, your with your siblings growing up with you kind of being that that uh, exemplary person, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're, you're, you're the proof of concept. You had yeah. to reinforce certain things and yeah. teaching them certain things. Yeah, um, my relationship with my siblings um, as an older brother is, is different than I would say a lot of uh, people's relationship because I did I was that third parent that, you know, I was in that line of defense where anything that went wrong kind of fell on me or um, anytime that they had a question, right? Um, they had to go through me, right? I got to get permission, not in a negative way, but um, just going through school, right? Who's going to sign your paperwork? I got to interpret that. Yeah, mom, we can do this. No, they can't do this. Uh, this is why they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and anytime they have trouble, like that goes through me. And oh, I had a really good relationship with them. I was also their brother, right? Mm -hmm. Their mentor. I went through a lot of things that they didn't have to go through, right? Because anything that I went through that was negative, I could bring it back. All right, you guys shouldn't do it this way. This is this is the negative way, right? These are the negative impacts that, that happen. Uh, and then also I was just leading by example. Uh, when I went to school, if I brought home bad grades, I can't turn around to my brother and be like, you need to bring home good grades, right? That's that's true. That's so, fact right there. So when that kind of lands on you, it's, it's just added pressure where it's like, all right, I can't I can't go and just mess up and just be someone else that I'm not, right? Get in trouble in school. Then uh, my little brother is looking at me and when he's in trouble, he's just going to be like, I'm doing what you're doing, right? So uh, I took that to heart, right? Because I also wanted him to do better. I wanted him to do better than I was. I never saw myself that... Uh, I was going to be this big, successful person. I just thought I would just pave the road and just get them through the next phase, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that we can we can get there together and just try to, you know, just trying to survive, essentially. No, for sure, for sure. So let's fast track a little bit. So then, yeah. you know, you're middle school, you're in high school, and, and, and we both had opportunities to go to private and public schools. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm curious to know um, real quick, like, what was that like and why did it make more sense for you to go to a private school in a certain point of your life and why didn't? Mm -hmm. And what did you learn from that experience? Wow, that's a big question. Um, so I went to Southside Middle School um, and I had some educational success. They're not great. I, I just showed up essentially in with public school. Right. If you just show up, uh, you know, you'll get by pretty easily. Um, but uh, what it was was... Uh, when I when I got through the eighth grade, um, I was very tall. I was like about six foot two, right? Uh, didn't really grow that much since then, but um, that's still pretty tall. <laughs> yeah, for some people. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Of course, you're of taller course. than me. So, but there's that sports sport as aspect where it was like, all right, um, the coach and people at the school were looking for uh, some other athletes to recruit. You know, uh, whether it was football, basketball, I wasn't very good at any of them. They recruited my cousin. 
uh, Richard Madal, who was going to Trinity High School. Uh, he was being recruited to go to Trinity High School, and he was just like, "Hey, you know, my my cousin is also pretty good. Let's you know, let's bring him up." Um, and I commend him for that because then they recruited me, and I, I had no business playing basketball at that time. <laughs> no, <laughs> so, no hand. So the cousin threw you an alley oop when yeah. the opportunity was there, and yeah. they jumped on it. And they jumped on it, and That's I was amazing. like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go." That's man. amazing Whatever. how that works. Yeah, I, I had no business being there. Um, and, uh, it, it's just night and day with, uh, with the, with, you know, from, uh, private school to public school. Uh, the biggest thing is just having, uh, just being held accountable, right? Uh, you weren't getting that, uh, in a public school, I would say, right? Um, the, uh, coursework was a little tougher, but there was a lot of help. There was, you know, smaller classes. It's a come do extra credit, you know, if you just showed up and were interested and you wanted to do well, um, you you could do well. When I was that young, I was like, I didn't, I did with that first year going in. I thought I, I made the biggest mistake of my life. Like, oh wow, there's no way I'm gonna be able to get through this. Like, these, everybody's so much smarter than I am. I can barely read, get through this book over here. Um, and now you want me to be in these AP classes and whatnot. Um, but I just um, went back to what I know, which is just <laughs> taking it uh, one day at a time. Take care of what's in front of you. And next thing you know, you know, I graduated from Trinity High School and then I was able to um, get some uh, college looks as well, which was great. Right. That's um, incredible. Didn't That's think awesome. I was going to be going to college either. Wow. So, changed my life. I would say. How, how was it? Um, how did the community because because it was a predominantly white community at yeah, that private school. Yeah, yeah. And how receptive were they of you? And, yeah. you know, because at that point, there was a, it was becoming a little bit more diversified yeah. in terms of the students that they were recruiting, yeah. you know, from, yeah. you know, I, I, I know that we had some similar friends back then. Yeah. So how, how was the community, was the community receptive of you guys? And I'm curious to know from your perspective. I mean, at first, I don't, I don't, at first they were not receptive because um, we were, I think we were one of the first wave uh, to go, uh, through that school, there was another class that was ahead of us. Um, that you know, that were immigrant families going into Trinity High School. At first, it was it was kind of a shock. It was a shock to them and a shock to to us as well. Uh, I don't think they were as receptive as they could have. And when been. you say a wave, we're talking like six to twelve kids yeah. out of what, like two hundred and fifty kids total. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a good percentage, though, right? I right. Mean, you're talking about ten, fifteen percent, um, and. I don't think they were as receptive as they could have been, right? They, it, was, it was more of, you know, just trying to get acclimated at first. But by the end, by my senior year, um, you know, start, felt really comfortable. Um, you know, the teachers were great. Um, the students, it took a while, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it was just like us versus them, right? Kind of a little bit of segregation that was going on. Uh, we just didn't understand each other. That's what right. it was, right? So a after once... From freshman, sophomore year, it was pretty tough. But by the time you got to junior, senior year, I think we were all acclimated. And, um, you know, it was one of the best experiences that I had. That's that's awesome. That's yeah. great. And and the reason I asked you that, because I, I went through that in, uh, in middle school where yeah. I, I left. I actually left an EL class where yeah. I wasn't even out of EL. I was still taking English as a second language courses. Yeah. And I ended up in this private school, uh, private Catholic school. And at the time, the school was predominantly white yeah. and i think there was only maybe three or four black kids total in the entire school mm -hmm. and one of the thing that i value a lot from that experience was they never compromised the rigor whatever yeah. that rigor was yeah. in terms of their education they never said oh here's dale he's he's only been in the states for three years let's figure out another way of presenting the content it was yeah. like no you're in yeah. there with everybody else like 
figure it out. Mm-hmm. And even though I wasn't like the best students, but it forced me to really um, engage mm-hmm. like in a different mm-hmm. level because I was the only one in that sphere. Yeah. But then the other thing that I value a lot from that experience was too just um, engaging and interacting with some of my friends' parents um, because, you know, they, they were kind of well off the fact that they were able to let their kids go to a private school that they're paying for. And mm-hmm. so sometimes being in the car with them as they're dropping me off for stuff, just like the conversation that they were having around certain things. Yeah. Like, again, what I was saying earlier is to me, I was like, man, that, that, that could be me too later on. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? I could yeah. be a lawyer. I could be a, a teacher. I could, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. So like, so being exposed to that early on, I didn't shy away from it. I didn't say, oh man, they're really well off. Like, I got to stay away. Yeah, yeah, let me stay on my pocket. Like, that's not for me. For you me. Do, you double down. Exactly. For me, I was like, oh, heck yeah. Yeah, after four years in high school, I'm going to college too. You know, yeah. I really love politics. Or I really like this. Mm-hmm. So I think that exposure for me, it's different because I was already kind of a go-getter, kind mm-hmm. of a kid. It's a mindset. But it really helped me also learn what it means to be in a not diverse space. Mm-hmm. You know, even though my community was somewhat diverse, you know, the community, the, the neighborhoods that we mm-hmm. played around yeah, with was yeah. diverse, but the school that I was going through on a daily basis wasn't. So by the time I went to high school, I went to a, a public school. So I went back with the rest of the homies you're again. You're back home. <laughs> but I felt like I was seasoned differently. I remember something that happened in my, um, I had a level two uh, social study class mm-hmm. and I always liked politics, right? Like, I, I was always good in politics. I always, like, just followed. I knew who was the president. I knew just so many different things. Yeah. So then in the class, the teacher asked me a question. I was always the one to, to, to answer. Within the first week, the teacher pulled me aside and said, Dale, you got to move up to my level three class. And, um, and I was like, yeah, let's, if, if you think that's the best. Yeah. So she advocated for me to move to a level three class. Yeah. And, but a lot of that was also, like, the structure of what kind of learning that I came out of from yeah. that private school. Even though it wasn't, I wasn't the best student, I still had a stronger foundation to advocate for myself. Absolutely. And then when I moved to the level three class, it was predominantly white kids. Yep. You yep. know? But then I felt like it was fine for me because I was You've used to it. it. Yep. Exactly. So, it. so I would raise my hand in class and a lot of my, 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 my classmates who came from a different district mm-hmm. that went to the same high school, they were kind of like, wow, this kid is kind of... He's, he fits in. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was one of the things I definitely have to like, uh, I don't know for people going to private school that's predominantly one ethnicity is a good thing. But for me, it just exposed me to a different thing. Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people in the immediate community that I was in didn't have access to certain things. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't even part of the lingo of what the parents talked about. Mm-hmm. So being exposed to some of those affluent family because of the drive that I had, it just validated, yeah, one day that's going to be me too. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's let's amazing, move man. let's move on a little bit. So then yeah. you end up so you're you're you, you got to go to college, so you decide yeah. that that you got accepted to a bunch of colleges. What informed where you where you ended up going? Uh money. <laughs> money, 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 money. Yeah. So, um I applied to a bunch of different schools. Uh I got accepted to all but my but one which is i forgot the name of school Uh, i think it was somewhere in maryland um but so i got accepted to the schools that i really wanted to go to providence was really high on my list that's where i wanted to go um but it was just it was too expensive to go there um but my mom and i were like hold on let me backtrack how did you feel when you got that first letter of acceptance ah man it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling just because uh, at the time, I just I never thought that I was going to go to college. It was not a thing that was, at, you know, in front of me. I just figured I'd finish 
uh, high school start getting a job and start helping out my mom. Because you, you were know, already also working, right? Yeah, I was During working. high school, you were yeah, working already. I, I started working uh, as a sophomore in high school, right? I, I, I was doing 25 hours a week, still going to school, playing sports, um, just because I, I needed to support my family somehow, right? Um, some money needed to come in. Uh, the government assistant w- wasn't um, enough to get, you know, it, we had a big family. I'm, Close I'm, the gap, right? Yeah, yeah, I was one of seven, so... It's That's a, serious. There's a lot of miles to feed. Um, but when I got that first acceptance letter, man, I, I felt so good. Um, just, I'm telling you, it was, uh, I had to do the application by myself. Um, I had to do the research by myself. Um, I just, you know, find out where I wanted to study, where the school was at. If I wanted to visit the school, I had to find a car and get down there by myself and do it. Uh, so there was a lot of work that went into it. And there's a lot of questions that I didn't even that I, it was difficult to answer in the common app that I, I didn't know where to find the answers to. Um, but you just, just dig. And I just kept working and working. You persevered through them. Yeah. And I, and I got there. So by the time I got that first acceptance letter and especially it was a school that I wanted to go to, man. Uh, and I thought it was a reach school, right? So I applied to a bunch of reach schools and I thought, uh, I was just going to have to settle for, for a couple, you know, uh, schools over here in the backyard, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, community colleges or whatnot. And that's why I was like, I'm not going to go to a community college. I can just get a job uh, and start supporting my family. So I'm not going to waste my time with that. Um, but then what happened was when you got started getting the acceptance letter, then, it, you know, someone's got to pay for the school. Right. And um, so you went from high and all of a sudden like, oh, snap, how am I going to pay for this? Yeah, it was like 30 grand a year to go to Providence. And, and back then that was expensive. I know that, it's doubled in, within the last yeah, ten it's, years. It's doubled now, um, so that was I was like, okay, that's not gonna go. Um, then I went to um, uh, what was it, University of Hartford? Um, that was a little better. Um, that was uh, 15, 15 grand a year, and I was like, all right, I can make that happen. Um, so I, I was like, I can make it happen. We pack up, and I'm, I was ready to go. Uh, and then just last minute, I was like, I, I can't find 15 grand to pay, mm. right? And I looked at my mom, and I was like, we can we can make it happen. I was like, I have I had some money saved up. It wasn't enough. So uh, I hit up UNH because I had applied. And it's an in-state tuition. It was all great gravy. They're like eight, $8,000 to go. I was like, we were able to scrap. So I didn't have to worry about the second semester just yet. I had We had, we had to put put together $4,000. Right. So I had about $2,000 saved up. Just so you had a gap of 8,000 out of pocket. Yeah. 8,000 each semester. Yeah. Yeah. Let me, yeah. Let me clarify after financial aid and everything. Right. Uh, I had to come up with $8,000, which is, uh, that is a lot of money, that's a but lot of money from other students that are like, hey, that's a, that's a bargain. Right. But I was like, I gotta, I have to pay for, for this. Right. Um, so I was like, we were able to scrap some money. I had $2,000 saved up. Uh, my mom was able to figure out to get another two thousand dollars, and we we're all set, ready to go. We go to UNH, um, so that was just four thousand for the first semester. Mm-hmm. I'm getting through the semester, we're working. I'm getting, I'm, get, I'm doing my thing, and then it's like, all right, I gotta pay for the second semester, right? And I, I did, where am I gonna get four thousand dollars? So I was, I was ready to drop out at that point. I was like, that's not worth it. What if I can't get through this year because I couldn't find another four thousand dollars? I could have been working right now, making that money. Hundred percent, right? right. So, I mean, it's not worth it. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find something else. And I mean, I gotta do this the following year. Find another eight thousand. It could be ten thousand next year. It's like, nah, I gotta go. So, but before I went, um, again, my cousin, uh, he was my roommate at the time. The same guy that, um, same guy that w- was able to get me to go to Trinity High School. We both go to UNH together. He's my roommate, and he's having the same issue. 
and he knows uh, he's got a family of a friend. I was like, all right, it's not time to drop out. Uh, this is what you got to do. You got to draft a letter to the school and tell, mm -hmm. and tell him your position. So um, that family friend helps my cousin draft this letter. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to work. But all right. So I get together. I draft my letter. It takes me like two weeks, you know, trying to get it all together. Right. Send it to the school. Uh, pretty much explaining, I don't have money to go to school. I'm going to drop out. Um, financial, the, what happened was my fi my financial aid piece, um, I applied to it too late because my father wasn't around to, to help me put it together. To finish some requirement to, to, that There are some requirements that. that he needed to finish, that right. he needed to do, um, and he wasn't around to do it. Um, so by the time he got back and he did it, and I was able to submit it. It was already too late. I think I was uh, I was a month a month off. So once you the cut the deadline is cut, I'm not available. I'm not considered for that financial aid. So you got the scrapped. You got the, yeah, the leftovers. I got the last of it. Oh, the last man. of it. So uh, that's why I had to pay eight thousand dollars out of pocket. They read the letter anyway. So uh, I'm packing up. I'm ready to go. Uh, I don't think I was coming back for the second semester. And I get a letter in the in the mail. They're like, "Oh, congratulations. We're." reconsidering that's uh, incredible. we're gonna reconsider your tuition and they gave they give me uh like the full tuition with the federal Pell grant let me clarify i still have to pay the loans it's not free right right, right. but, but they're loans in, right yeah, they're loans uh that the government has given me to get through school um that i'm still paying today but it's not out of pocket right exactly um so and then they refunded the four thousand dollars that i that i that i had paid oh snap you got so, a little refund so i mean the smart thing to do at the time would have been to pay off the loan exactly right? and kind of work through it but i was like yo this is real money in front of me right <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i'll go i'll bring it back home you know give my mom her money and you know buy a couple of things for the family and right. and just you know enjoy that at the time and i was able to uh you know finish out unh it took me five years instead of Four, so more more grant money that I needed, but um, I got through it. Come on, just hearing that story, it's like that's the thing when you're when you're when you when you're starting from a certain level, like yeah. there's always that that rift, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. and, and 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 people experience this a lot all the time. And when those rift happens, either you continue on, or then you lower back yeah. down because you're like, hey, that that's not even my league. Yeah. I can't even. I can't even compete. I've done all I can do to get to here, mm -hmm. but I don't have anything else yeah. to continue on. So yeah. what what ends up happening for some people is then they scoop back down mm -hmm. because it's like, hey, this is my playing field. This is what I can it's maintain. Right, along right, here, right, right, right. It's like, yeah. but then sometimes like what changed the trajectory is that next milestone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. And um, and that's the thing about like really like grinding out and persevering and being resourceful during those moments is the is the fact that like anything could happen to contribute to that next tier mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. long as you're, you're you're pushing through and for you guys you and richard decided that hey you know friend, family friend recommended that you might have to write the right. letter yeah. you know just give it a shot yeah you know yeah and luckily that worked and that led to that next that next position in your life where you were able to finish school and graduate and now you've been working corporately for a good amount of time yeah and um it's so incredible, man. It's it's just so incredible. And I've known you for so long, and we have such a similar story in terms of just being able to to push through, right? Yeah. Like roadblocks. Oh man, what are we gonna do? All right, we're gonna call some people up. Hey, yeah. this is my idea. That's what I'm thinking. Hey, what working at a very young age too? That's another piece, man. Yeah. You're working yeah. hotel hospitality. I was working for retail mm -hmm. and cleaning companies. You know, so um, and that's the thing. What people don't understand is sometimes it's like when you're starting from zero or from a deficit or from a gap. Mm -hmm. 
you got to also, it's not just about like going forward. It's also like getting the stuff that you need along the way so you can continue on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just so inspiring to hear that, you know, what led to where you, like how you ended up elevating and what is what an amazing testament to your family as well to your brothers to be able to see, your brother and sister to be able to see man Kamut is in college yeah oh snap Kamut is graduating you know yeah um and First i remember generation. the same thing for me right like when i was in college i had a lot of ups and downs i remember one time i took way too much i spent weight i i anticipated that i was going to get a big refund so i took a bunch of classes in the summer and then the school decided not to give me a portion of it and i had to come up with I think it was like $12,000 in two weeks. And Jeez. I was able to finagle my way and try to figure out how they can change stuff. And that worked out. But that's just the reality of, you know, life sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, I want to just get to get your perspective a little bit now that you've been in this corporate space mm-hmm. and uh, you've been to you've been able to to um, implement some of the skills that you've learned right obviously you know the schooling stuff was just to say that hey this kid is capable yeah and the reality was actually the experiences you had to learn along the way within the company that you've worked for for so long now and where you are now i'm just curious to know how did that transition happen right when you when you finished and you got a job and then now it was like hey i gotta deliver what was that like scary um very scary because at first i didn't think i was good enough I didn't think I could do it. I didn't. I thought I was. Thought I made a mistake again, right? Like when I was at, at uh, Trinity High School, where I was way, way over in my head, right? Because um, especially with the people that I was competing with, they were. I just felt like they were so much smarter, uh, better. They just, they just knew uh, what was going on around them, and I was just. Uh, I had to catch up. I was behind, um, so. For what, me, what were some of the things that you realized that you were a little bit behind on? Um, just, uh, so, so the smallest things, um, that they, people didn't have to worry about, right? Like I had to, I was still at home with my mom and helping out my siblings. So the paycheck that I was getting was good for, um, for someone of my age, but I still had other responsibilities where, uh, I was working, you know, I, I had to put in sometimes, you know, 45, 50 hour weeks. Right. But I also, I didn't have free time at home where I can study up uh, for my industry, for like, you know, what my job needed, right? Like to kind of get to the next level. I didn't have that free time to kind of put to my craft because I had other responsibilities that I needed to do, right? So just that that space, I didn't I didn't have extra time, right? And then um, just just the knowledge that some of the people, some of the people I was competing with that they had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they knew what they wanted to do at a young age. Maybe they, they knew, um, like what they had to study up on the industry, their parents were in the industry, right? Um, they they know people in the industry, so I'm in the I'm in the wine and spirits industry, so a lot of it has to be with who you know. Um, but Gallo's who, who I work with right now, and they've been they've been really uh, really good to me for for a very long time, and uh, just giving me the resources that I need to get to the next level, essentially. So um, I don't think I'd be able to be here without. Uh, you know, that company pretty much giving me those, those resources that uh, other companies wouldn't really afford to, right? Um, but I just had to, you know, buckle down, get down and um, study up, put in extra work and just work and grind hard and wait my turn essentially to get to the next place um, and just get to know the people around me and use my personality and use my life experiences uh, just to get me through essentially. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, yeah. 
So what are some of the, where are you now in terms of your professional pathway, right? And, yeah. and it seems like, you know, you've been with this company for a good amount of time and now you have more and more responsibility and, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're looking out for other folks and you're finding other opportunities in terms of helping your, um, you know, your company to be effective and, mm-hmm. and, and to produce. Yeah. Um, so h- how is that trans- kind of that transformation, you know, from being kind of the entry starting being in the middle tier and now you're kind of the second the second tier of the middle tier how, yeah. how does that feel for you no so it feels good right just because uh, i've worked so hard to get here right and um to to get rewarded uh feels real good i'm doing something right and then now um you know i'm building a team right trying to get through goals get results uh through other people and and, and just and just kind of see that uh feels really good um and then um just just Continuing to work hard and, and looking in the future, right? Um, it's this not where I, I this is not where it's gonna stop, right? I just gotta keep working and getting to the next level, um, and just growing with the company because the company continues to grow as well. And um, I want to take advantage of that and grow with them and get to the next level myself. Um, but yeah, it's been great. It's uh, uh it's been a great experience so far. Um, and I, I continue to to. Uh, you know, be happy and be blessed with it and uh, not take it for advantage and, and just continue to work on it. That's awesome. So the last question is a lot of my listeners and people that watch my stuff and follow along, um, sometimes they're on the receiving end, right? Or sometimes they're in the giving end. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I say sometimes they're the key holders. So there's the decision makers. So it might be manager, directors, it might be teachers, it might be policymakers. Um, and, and they have... Uh, the opportunity to actually change someone's trajectory. And then mm. my other listeners are actually on the receiving end. So they're the ones who are, you know, you know how a teacher views them and how they open up might be critical in terms of them moving forward or how a company is considerate when they see their application, when they apply, mm. could be critical in how they move forward. So if you had to give feedback or um, an encouragement word around perseverance, what would you say? Wow. You ask a lot of good questions, man. You got, you got this, toes. man. You, you've been breathing and eating this, man. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what would I say? Um, I would say just, you know, don't ever, don't give up, essentially, right? I mean, you do you have it here? Oh, he's rocking it. Yeah, he's rock, That's rocking. not a plug, but he's currently, yeah. if you're listening to this, he's wearing a sweater that I created called Don't Give Up. You got this. You got this. So I, you say it perfectly. Um because a lot of times in life, uh, it's going to knock you down. Uh, there's a lot of things in life that are going to knock you down, whether it's, you know, applying for a job, you don't get it. You get into the job, you don't get that sale. You, you know, you, you fail at a certain project, you, you know, uh, but you just can't give up because um, it's just that next step is what's going to get you over. Right. I, I could have given I almost gave up going to college if I didn't if I had given up so early. I wouldn't be able to where I am today. Uh, when I was at Trinity, I, I could have give up and moved back to Memorial or just doing to public school. I wouldn't be where I am today, right? There's a lot of things. Even with my job, I could I could have quit early on because I didn't fit. I didn't feel like I fit. I fit um, people the surrounding areas, right? I could I could have given up, but just don't give up and continue to work towards what you want, uh, and it'll get there. You'll get there. Thank you so much, Kamut, for joining me in this amazing interview. I get so inspired by just seeing all the, the amazing progress that you've made and the man that you are today. And um, I appreciate it so much. And for my listener, um, you got this. Don't give up and continue to press through. Persevere to excel. Thank you. <laughs>